All right, Revelation of Love, we're on part eight. Who could have thought that you could talk about love for this long? For this long. And we're not even telling you what you need to do yet. <laughs> right? Usually when you talk about loving, it's about how you have to love. But it's not about what you must do. It's about who is love and experiencing God who is love. And then when you experience the God who is love, it transforms your life and makes, it, makes you more loving. And it, it seems strange, but that's the way it works. You ever, you ever see um, married couples, especially happily, happily married couples, the longer that they're, they're together, the more they become alike? Right? Some of, you, some of them even start looking alike. Like, are they brothers and sisters? You know, it, really? And that's the way it is with God. The more you spend time with God, intimately spend time with God in fellowship, the more you're going to be like God, the more you're going to look like Jesus. And we've been looking at this that hopefully you got this down now. In, in 1 John 4, 8, it declares that God is love. So what is love? True love. Come on, we got, what is true love? If God is love, what is love? Love is God, right? Oh my goodness, we're going to have to go back and start from the beginning. (laughs) It cannot be true love without it being God. And it cannot be God without it being what? Love. That, that's amazing to think about because when you go back and read your Bibles, you have to, you have to read it through the lens of love. It doesn't give you any other options. When the Bible says that God is love, that means that everything you read, you have to read through the lens of love. Through the lens of love. And then we talked about this, is that some of the characteristics, God's characteristics are found in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That's the characteristics of love. And we talked about why does it seem like there's a section of, of, of Scripture in the Old Testament that doesn't look like 1 Corinthians 13 whatsoever. And that's because that's not the characteristics of God. That's the characteristics of the law. And what was the law designed to do? Point out your characteristics. The law pointed out your characteristics. And the only way that we could ever keep the law is finding something that we love more than life itself, and that is Jesus. Because that's exactly what he did for you. He found something that he loved more than life itself, and he gave himself for you so that we might dwell in his love. So the Old Testament was not the characteristics of God. It was the characteristics of the law, which pointed out our characteristics. The temptation is to compare our love to this list in 1 Corinthians 13. Most of the time when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's trying to compare how well you line up to this list. And we, under, we already know that God is love. So when it's talking about the characteristics of love, this is the characteristics of God. And something I want you to think about, whatever situation you are in right now, there's two ways to think about it. The way that religion thinks about your situation, there's the way that the world thinks about your situation, there's world, the way, and then there's the way that love thinks about your situation. These are declarations of what God is wanting to do in your life. These are declarations of love. These are actions of love. This is the way that love operates, the way that God, love does things. And so you have to renew your mind to, is my mind renewed into, what does love say about this situation I'm in? What is God who is love, declaring over this situation. Or you can choose to be in your old man, the, unrene- the dead man, 
The one that's been taken to hell, you're trying to resurrect him again. Am I going to live that way? Am I going to be in fear? Fear is the opposite of love. You know, a lot of people think that fear is the opposite of faith, and that's not what the Bible says at all. It says that perfect love casts out fear, right? So what's the opposite of faith? Law. The law is the opposite of faith. To keep the law, you don't need any faith. You just need the sweat of your brow and hard work and be a failure because no one can keep the law. The opposite of the law is faith. The opposite of fear is love. So you can fear in your circumstance or you can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and find what, what is Jesus, what is God declaring about this situation in my life? What does he want to do in it? And I don't know if you've seen some of my Facebook posts lately, but I'm really trying to get my mind renewed to the mind of Christ. That even in bad situations, when bad situations and circumstances come, we embrace that as, oh no, this is going to be a problem. This is going to be a bad situation. It's going to lead to heartache, and I don't want to go through it at all. But the Bible declares that we should rejoice because we look at a circumstance coming into our life as something that is looking to rob, kill, and destroy from us. And that's not Christ's way of thinking. Christ's way of thinking is, is what does Jesus say about this circumstance? What does his promise say about this circumstance? How does God want to be glorified in this circumstance? What promise does he want to bring to my revelation? That he, does he want to manifest in my life through this circumstance? There's two ways we can look at it. We can either look through it at the, through the lens of love, or we can look at it through the lens of the world and fear and doubt and unbelief. That's a huge, there's a huge difference there. I want to be a person that when, when bad things, tragedy happens in my life, I go, yahoo! It's a yahoo, yahoo moment. I want to call my friends up and say, guess what? Tragedy has just hit my home. I am so pumped. Because that means God's going to do something. Because he loves me. He's there for me. He's got his, all his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And I am just so, so excited to see how he manifests his presence in my life. That's a huge difference. But 1 Corinthians 13 is the characteristics of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, in a King Jimmy version, it says, Charity suffereth long. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hope all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And we've looked at a good portion of these so far. We've looked at that love, which is charity, which is God. God is patient. And I'm not, I'm not going to recap on these. Get the CDs. Um, love, love, God is kind. We, we serve a kind God. God does not envy. God is not jealous of you. He, he, he isn't moved to jealousy because you like a hobby. Or I'm, seeing, I'm talking about them. And I, love, God is not boastful. Love, God is not arrogant. Number six, we looked at love, who's God. He's not rude. He's not out to look to embarrass you. Love, God is not self-seeking. God is not easily provoked. You can't push God's buttons. And love, God, he thinks no evil towards you. And that's, that's amazing. All his thoughts are good towards you. So we're on 9 of 16, and hopefully, if you guys don't distract me too much, we'll be able to get through all of these, maybe. But we're on 
Number 10, which is charity. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity. In other words, love, who is God. God does not celebrate sin destroying your life. There are a lot of people that are delusional when it comes to this type of stuff. What God does to shape them up. See, I'm a firm believer that you can learn through, you can learn through sin. You can learn through sin and the destruction, destructive behaviors that sin creates in your life. But there is a better way. There's a better way. Why not just read the Bible and learn from the Word of God? Right? You can learn through going to, through the life of hard knocks. Or you can take God's word for it. Right? But God doesn't celebrate this. God doesn't doesn't use it. God doesn't think it's a good idea to use sin and destruction to bring you closer to him. But we hear that. Some of us say that. James 1, 12 through 15, it says, Blessed! is the man who endures in temptation. There's another Yahoo moment. There's a reason why to celebrate. When you're tempted, when temptation comes, and sin said, oh, I don't know if I can stand up underneath this temptation. I know, I don't, you know, sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail and I end up doing things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. This says you should go, when temptation comes knocking on the door, you should go, woohoo! It's time to celebrate because there's a blessing coming. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When temptation comes, that's Satan knocking on the door saying, I'm here, I want to rob, kill, and destroy. But God's knocking on the other door and he says, there's a blessing on this door. There's a blessing over on this door. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And there's another reason. Why is the reason you don't sin? What's the reason you don't give in temptation? For the same reason you don't cheat on your wife. Because I don't want her to take half of everything? No. Because you love her. Because you love her. He will receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God has a blessing for you. Why? Because he loves you. And the reason why you don't give in temptation is because you know how much he loves you and you love him. You love him. It's not... It's not because you want to be holy or or moral or any of those things. It simply comes back to love. I love God. He's been so good to me. How can I do an evil thing towards my Lord? It's all about love. The reason we don't do things is because we love God. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God. How many of us, when temptation comes, and I mean, well, God's just testing you. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot. Oh, my goodness. God can't do something. He cannot be tempted by evil. Why can't God be tempted by evil? Because he's love. And the more that you are walking in the love of God, the revelation of how much God loves you, you'll get to a time when you can't be tempted with evil. You can't be tempted with evil. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So what's that mean? That means that you love something. You can't be, ten, you know, Brussels sprouts. If you don't like Brussels sprouts, you can't be tempted to eat Brussels sprouts, can you? You only can be tempted with 
what you like. And for some of us, what we love. But each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That is the two doors. You can either be blessed as the man who endures temptation, or you can be the one that brings, welcomes death to his home. And in the middle is love. So God does not tempt you. God doesn't entice you. He doesn't, he's not trying to build your faith up. He's trying to get a blessing to you by you taking who you are in Christ Jesus and the love that he has bestowed upon you and walking in the new creation realities of Christ Jesus and realize that that's not me anymore. If you realize that you were dead to sin and alive to Christ, when temptation comes knocking on the door, you would say, that's not me. I don't love that stuff. That's not even my nature anymore. And I've said this many times, but St. Augustine, when he was converted to Christ, he was a man that loved to visit the, uh, the brothels. And after he was converted to Christ and was born again, one of the young ladies from the brothels said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine kept on walking. He says, yes, but it is no longer I. We've got to see ourselves, that we, the old man is dead and that we are alive in the Christ. Because we judge ourselves among ourselves instead of in Christ, people rejoice when people struggle or when someone falls into sin. Charity, love, does not rejoice in iniquity. But unfortunately, too often we do. And the reason why is because we, instead of judging ourselves as who we are in Christ, we still keep a little moral checklist, and we still think that God answers our prayers and that we're holy and we're special because of what we've done. And we try to get up on another person. And if someone else fails, that means that we're better than them. Do you know how many people celebrate when... when Ministers and ministries fall into moral sin. When churches shut down, it's terrible. Galatians 6, 1 through 4 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in, the, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also are tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love your brother as he has loved you. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then when he, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What does that mean? That means... When someone is overtaken in a sin, you don't celebrate their failure. But you come alongside them as a brother and a sister in Christ and love and help them carry that burden. We bear one another's, uh, one another's burdens. Gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4 in the Amplified. For if any person thinks himself to be somebody too important to condescend to the shoulder of another load, another's load, when he is nobody of superiority except in his own estimation, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. See, we get so tied up in thinking, comparing ourselves to one another. And thinking just because we don't struggle with a certain sin that we're better than they are. And the truth of the matter is, that's only in your eyes. 
You think you're superior in your eyes. But you're failing in another area. Maybe it's pride. And he says, be careful. Don't be that way. Don't think you're too, too important to help out another brother or sister in Christ. Because you're only deluding and deceiving and cheating yourself. But let every person carefully scrutinize and examine and test his own conduct and his own work. He can then have a personal satisfaction and joy of doing something commendable in itself alone without resorting to boastful comparison with his neighbor. So what he's saying is, is, is if you're not going to if you're not going to minister to another one's needs, the only boastful boasting that you have is the ministering that you've done to another person's needs. Boast in that. Don't boast in your own morality. Because even on our best days, we're nothing but filthy rags in our in ourself. Right. And I want to take this back to God. God, if, if, if this is what God intends us to do, how could we ever think that God doesn't act this way towards us? That the Spirit wants to carry your load. This wants to build you up and empower you. See, God's this way. God is going to support you and help you. He's not going to point out your failures. He's not going to kick you when you're down. He doesn't rejoice in iniquity. But he carries our loads. Number 11. Charity rejoice in truth. Love God. He celebrates truth. He celebrates truth in your life. John 8, 31 through 32, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth will make you free. God celebrates truth. Why? Because it makes you free. God's truth is Jesus, and Jesus is the love of God manifest to humanity. And Jesus, the truth, will set you free in the spirit and in his kingdom. God rejoices in the truth because the truth is Jesus. God rejoices because Jesus is the truth of God made flesh. Jesus is the truth. I've said it over and over again. If it's not Jesus, it's not God. If you can't see Jesus doing it, you can't see your Heavenly Father doing it. It's not the truth. In John it says that that the law came by Moses, was given by Moses. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That right there shows you a distance, doesn't it? That God gave the law through Moses. It shows separation. But grace and truth came. Emmanuel, God with us. God came in grace and truth. That's awesome. What was that grace and truth? Jesus. Jesus was the grace and truth. The truth about who God was and who God is. He's a redeemer, not a condemner. Jesus is the manifestation of the love of God in the flesh. John, third, third John 1 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. God gets joy when you walk in truth. God gets joy when we walk in truth. Why? Because he knows that that's where life is. Because when you walk in truth, you're walking in Jesus. Right? And he's out to bless you, not condemn you, not to bring you under a curse. Because when you're walking in the truth, you're walking in the spirit of Jesus. So God celebrates the truth. Number 12, charity beareth all things. Beareth all things. This is interesting. God covers us. Love covers. That word beareth. The Greek word translated beareth means to cover. The Greek word 
Steigo means primarily to protect or preserve by covering. Hence means to keep off something which threatens to bear up against us, to hold out against us, and so to endure. God covers us. The love of God covers us. Look at the heart of God. In Matthew 23, 37, 39, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. What's the heart of God here? To cover them, protect them, keep them safe. But they are not willing. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that God has a will, but he doesn't override your will. His will is to cover. His will is to protect. But if you're unwilling to stay under his covering, his protection, his love, There's nothing he can do about it. Jesus prophesied this warning twice. I don't know if you know this or not. Jesus prophesied this warning twice. Matthew 23, 38 through 39, and Luke 13, 34. In Luke, it was before his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. Remember, he came in on a colt, on a donkey, right? And they literally said this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Right? He said they were blessing this. Blessing his name. They, they were saying it as he came in. This and Matthew was after the triumphal entry. This was a prophecy about the rejection of Jesus. The love of Jesus manifested to the Jewish people. He wanted to cover them, but they refused. And in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. Completely demolished by the Romans because they rejected Jesus Christ, their covering. But the good news is, is one day, one day they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is awesome. That's awesome. Jesus is our covering. I don't know if you realize that, that Jesus covers us. You are not like the rest of the world with, without hope, without protection. You have the covering of Jesus in your life. Look at what this says here in 1 Peter 3, 8, 18-22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Which one were you? You were either the just or the unjust. We were the unjust. Christ, the just one, suffered for us, the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, by this, but made alive in the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the, the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Now, you can get twisted up in this. Some people some people say that, that these spirits that Christ spoke, uh, spoke to were the people that died in the flood of Noah. That he went into some place in the earth. He preached the gospel to them after his death. And they, and they could choose to accept Jesus or not. Some people say that Noah himself was a preacher of righteousness. And it was the spirit of Christ that was calling, causing people to repentance. And they refused to repent. 
and that's why they died in the flood. I don't know which one it is. One day I will know. But that's not the main point. The main point is that Noah and his family were covered. They entered into the ark, and there was a covering that protected them. Right? In the same way, through baptism, not the sprinkling of water or the dunking of water, but the baptism into Christ is a covering for you. Love covers. You are covered with Christ, in Christ. And you have to learn to live in Christ, walk in Christ, in that covering, in that protection. No matter what circumstance comes your way, see yourself in that covering. See yourself as, I don't care what the world does to me, I don't care what the devil does to me, I'm covered with love. But we have a covering. We are covered. We have been submerged into, baptized into Christ. And we are covered in Christ. And we are rescued through him, just like Noah and his family were rescued from the flood. 1 Peter 4.8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. When we walk in the love of God, we protect others. Do you know that? If you're walking in the love of God, and I struggle with this, you're not easily offended. You're there to carry each other's burdens. You're, you walking in the love of God, realizing that God covers your, your failures, gives you the ability to walk in love with others, and your love for others will cover their failures. We need to be a church that covers one another because God's covering us. Amen? Amen. When we walk in the love of God, we protect others by not allowing strife and offense to open the door to the devil. We're moving pretty good. Number 13, charity believeth all things. Love God. He believes in you. God believes in you. Isn't that amazing to think that God actually believes in you? He has, he has a hope for you. He has plans for you. As you were formed in your mother's womb, he had a design and a purpose and a plan for your life. God believes in you. Look what the Amplified Version says. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the Amplified is ever ready to believe the best of every person. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and that's what he's going to believe about you. Even if you don't line up with his plan and purpose, he's going to keep on believing the best in you, the best in you. No matter the situation, no matter what your situation is, no matter how far you've gotten away from his plan or his purpose, no, no matter how... If you find yourself feeding pigs, being a Jewish boy, and longing to eat the food that you were given to the pigs, God still believes in the best for you. He's still believes in the best for you. He's ever ready. You ever see that ever ready bunny? Right? It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Still going and going. God is ever ready. He's always, his love never, ever, 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 ever stops. He never, ever, ever. There isn't something that you can do to make him forsake you. There's, no, there's nothing you can ever do to make him say, oh, I, I don't want nothing to do with him anymore. He's always desiring the best for you. He's ever ready. I can just picture Satan coming up and say, saying to him, actually, Satan can't accuse us anymore because of Jesus, but he accuses us, don't he? But he comes in and accuses us, and I can just see God up there. Yeah, you, you might be accusing him of that, but did you see what they did the other day? 
You know, they thought about me for a little bit. They just thought, you know, they thought maybe there is a God. Just for a second that one day. You know, when they were looking at that sunset, they, they thought, man, this is beautiful. There has to be a God. And it was a fleeting thought, but it was there. I believe the best in them. Yeah, they might be caught in, 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 in this habitual sin, and they don't know who they are in Christ, but, but you know, they're crying out to me. They're desiring to be free. He believes the best in you. He believes the best in you. If there is only 5% good in you, God believes in that 5%. He chooses to focus on that 5% instead of the 95%. And we're so quick to point out people's 95%, aren't we? He believes the best in you. Philippians 4, eight. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Again, we read this. We read this. And we think, this is what we need to do. And yes, you're absolutely right. We need to do this. We, when bad things happen, we need to think about the good things. What is God wanting to do in this situation? Don't meditate on the calamity. Don't meditate on the circumstance. Meditate on what God says about your situation. Yes, I totally agree that we need to do these things. But God does the same thing. When he looks at you, he says, he looks for whatever's true, whatever things are noble. He's looking at those things that are just in you, whatever things are pure. That's what he's focusing on. Whenever th- whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, those things that are virtuous, anything that's praiseworthy, he's meditating on those things. God meditates on those things. He's celebrating and praising you on those things. You are so lovely. You are so pure, even though you don't feel like it. He sees that 1%. He's thinking those things towards you. I tell you what, I, I, I know the strength that parents give a child when the child knows that their parents are behind them, and their, and their parents are supporting them. There's a, there's a power in that. What if the world knew that God was behind them like this? What would that be like? Instead, of, instead we tell them how much God, what God thinks of them, that they're no good at the deserving of hell. It's not what it says at all. He sees us in Christ. You know, in Corinthians it says, for us to no longer see one another in the flesh, but in Christ. We need to see one another in Christ. We need to see this in one another. Because this is what God is thinking about you. This is what God is thinking about you. Number 14, charity hopeth all things. Charity hopeth all things. Is this what's in the Amplified Version? Well, not the Amplified Version, but charity hopeth all things. Love, God's desire for you never changes. God's desire for you never changes. In the Amplified Version, this is what it says. It says, it hopes are faithless under all circumstances. Love, God, his hope for you never changes. In all circumstances, whatever circumstances might happen, how bad you screwed up today or yesterday or tomorrow, it doesn't change the way that God thinks about you. 
It doesn't change his hope for you. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Hope is, a, is positive imagination. Hope is a positive imagination. It's not, it's not saying, you know, biblical hope we're talking about. It's not saying, you know, I sure hope. I sure hope things will get better. No, hope envisions the promises of God, the word of God, the nature of God, and declares it as truth. Hope and faith are interchanged. The same Greek word is interchanged in the Bible. You have a blessed hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. So you're imagining it in your, in your mind. It's a, it's a positive imagination of, of what God promises are for you and, and, and the nature and the character of God and who he's called you to be in your life. And then faith speaks it and acts upon it. Faith is that substance to what you're hoping. So you can have vain imaginations. You can have darkened imaginations. You can have evil imaginations. Or you can have hope. And you put actions, faith, to whatever you are imagining. Hope is positive imagination based on the hope of God. The, the word of hope, so based on the word of God, which is the word of hope, ensured by Jesus Christ our only hope, through the power of the spirit of hope, the Holy Spirit. God's positive desire for all men is that they would experience his blessed hope. God is our hope. God is hope. Our whole future is dependent on our hope in Christ Jesus. And there are things that we haven't seen come in flesh yet, have we? Jesus one day will see our blessed hope return. And we'll be transformed like him. And we have that hope. It's that imagination. What is your imagination filled with? Is it filled with the God of hope or is it filled with the God of this world? Destruction, evil. What's your imagination? Is it positive imagination towards God? Or is it in the power of Satan to rob, kill, and destroy? Number 15, charity endureth all things. Charity endureth all things. The Amplified Version again. Love God remains strong. And in the Amplified Version, it endures everything without weakening. Love, God, we're talking about God here, he endures everything without ever weakening. Without ever weakening. God believes in you. No matter what circumstances come, God only believes the best. He doesn't change because of your circumstances. He endures he endures our failures. He endures the heartache of our sin. With God, it is never over because his love endures everything without weakening. And that's good news. His love endures everything that this world has to throw at it. Everything that Satan can do. He endures it and never weakens. It never weakens. It never changes. It's constant it's a sure thing. He's going to spend the rest of eternity loving us. He's going to spend the rest of eternity loving us. And number 16, that's supposed to be 16, charity never fails. What does that mean? God never fails. God never fails. And God has no end. In the Amplified Version of 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. 
That sounds like God, doesn't it? God has no beginning. He has no end. He never becomes obsolete. He is the great I am. He's going to be there forever. Love in God never, ever fails. God and love never comes to an end. Your relationship with God just gets gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. It's going to spend all eternity. When you think it can't get any gooder than this, it's going to get, it's going to get gooder. There will never be a time when God decides he's had enough with mankind. We have forever become one with him through Jesus Christ. Think about this. God has married himself to humanity. God took on flesh. God be, I, don't, I can't understand it. God became one of us. And we are in him he is in us for all eternity. Humanity is one with God. I mean, I don't know if you thought of this or not, but there is a man, a resurrected man in the Godhead. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a man, right? Just like us. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And you are in him and he is in you. And Ephesians says, we are seated with him in heavenly places. You're in. Why would you ever want to get out? There will never be a time when God decides he's had enough with mankind. We have forever become one with him through Jesus Christ. And that should make you happier and happier. The more you explore the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, you will be filled with all the fullness of God, love, himself. Himself. Now, these, we went through these 16, and this is something that you're going to have to go through over and over and over again. Remind yourself of this. This is the characteristics of God. This is what God is like. These are his thoughts to me. These are his actions towards me. If we really got to the point where we believe this, we'd be unstoppable. Because scriptures that we put up on our refrigerator are like, if God be for you, who can be against you? That, that's awesome scripture, Right? But it's kind of one of those yeah, YBH scriptures. Yeah, but how? If God be for me, who can be against me? Yeah, I, I believe it because it's in the Bible, and my pastor says I've got to believe the Bible. But, but how does he do that? This gives the meat. This gives the backing. This gives the definition to that scripture. How, how can God be for you? Because he's love. These are his characteristics. These are his attributes. How can you not win? How can you not win with God on your side? And until, I'm telling you, until, until you renew your mind to this, you can't experience it. Until this is your hope. Is this your hope? Is this your imagination? Is this your thoughts of God towards you? And if you don't have that hope, if you don't have a positive imagination of this is what my, God's thoughts and actions are towards me, how can you ever walk it out in faith? How can you ever walk it out in faith? So in closing, renew your mind to the truth of God's characteristics, the truth of God's actions towards you, that God is love. Love is God. And he's for you. Amen. That's good news. It's good news whether you believe it or not. My hope is one day we all come to the, the belief that God is good and he only wants good for you. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your characteristics. We thank you that you have given us a road map to your nature and who you are, that you are love, and that you endure forever. And life just gets gooder and gooder and gooder in you. And I thank you so much that we don't have to wait till we get to that sweet by and by. We don't have to wait till we walk through those pearly gates. But your kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now. And we're going to walk in your love for us now. We're going to walk in your hope for us now. We're going to walk in your, your dreams for us now. We're going to walk in your power now. We're going to walk in your joy now. We're going to walk in your dreams for us now. We're going to, we're going to walk in your covering now. We're going to glorify the Son now by declaring the great love that He has manifest to us, that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. He is our Lord. He is the image of the Father in the flesh. And He is living in us. We're going to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We're going to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, in the gifts of the Spirit. For our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Father, we just thank you for your great love. And we rest in the finished work of that love, Jesus Christ. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.